Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me today are Devendra Hardwa and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast, uh, Devendra. Welcome back from Computex. Thank you. Uh, that's where you were at last week, right? How was uh, where Where is Computex? Computex is in Taipei, mm. Taiwan. My old stomping uh, a place, grounds. Yeah, your old stomping grounds, which you, you've never been to. I've been there like five times now. Uh, it's it's great. I love I love the city. Love the show. Um, I was also there in like a Godzilla esque moment because they have this uh, this annual air raid test, uh, <laughs> basically preparing preparing for a, an invasion from China. Uh, Did from they the air, basically. inform you when you get off the oh, plane yeah, that yeah. that's going to happen? You get an alert. Basically, it's like you cannot go outside for this half an hour, and of course that happens on the first day of Computex. <laughs> so I arrange my schedule around that, and all these sirens go off. And meanwhile, like torrential rains are happening too. So I put, I, it's just, I put it up on a tweet. I was just having lunch, like in this quiet cafe, uh, surrounded by sirens and torrential rain. And you it felt Godzilla. very much like a Godzilla movie. Yeah, yeah, it did. And I did see Godzilla there too. So that was fun. Well, we're glad you got back safely. Jeff Kanata, you also had your encounter with uh, errant liquids today to get to the slash podcast, didn't you? <laughs> oh, that, is, that is the worst segue I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. No, but well done, man. Thanks. Well done. Yeah, Thanks. I was. Uh, <laughs> I assume it involves a child. Yeah, I, I was just re- <laughs> relating this this story to Dave before we <laughs> before we went on the air. Uh, I had quite the day. My wife uh, has has left on a work trip for four days to Chicago, so I'm solo dadding hard, and by hard I mean very difficult. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, of course, the night before my wife leaves, my daughter, my one-year-old daughter, starts running a temperature. And this morning, she was still running a temperature, and but I had to go to work, so I left. And um, my mother-in-law, who was here babysitting uh, during the day, said that she, uh, my daughter has had UTI, has had a UTI before, uh, which is not super uncommon with infants, but really terrible. It makes them very sick. So, uh, she had some symptoms again. And, um, so I left work early, came home, took Zoe to the doctor and to test for UTI, they have to get a urine sample, which is not easy with an infant because you don't know when that's going to urinate. And the, the audience is already like, where's, why is he telling this story? Why am I listening to this show? Uh, but here you go. (laughs) Welcome first time listeners. Um, Anyway, so I, they might have to run a catheter into a one-year-old, not great. So we were hoping to avoid that. And the doctor said, well, I can put a, a baggie around the <laughs> area. Let's and, go old uh, school. Yeah, yeah, and we can wait for her to, uh, to go. And you know, hopefully I'll do some tests, you know, check her out, you know, look in her ears and all the stuff you do. And maybe while that's happening, she'll go. So sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And uh, thankfully, we didn't have to do the catheter. And the doctor, you know, did some some cursory tests and then uh, checked her diaper and went, "Oh yeah, you see, the 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 baggie is full. It's great. We don't have to do the catheter." I was like, "Oh, thank goodness. That was going to be a nightmare. The baggie is full, and it's uh, attached to her with some adhesive." And the doctor reaches down and like yanks at the adhesive, and it catapults the urine inside the bag all over me like all over me and she's like oh my god and my first thought is not oh my gosh i'm covered in urine it's save the urine so my daughter doesn't have to get a catheter inserted this is the sample that we've been waiting for it's sterile 
Yes, exactly. So I reach out with both my hands and grab the baggie and cup it in my hands to try to save some sample. And the, and the doctor's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, is this, an, is this enough? And she goes, yes, it's, it's, uh, we, there's, there's enough. I can go test it. And she's like, okay, let me take it. And she just leaves the room. And I'm sitting there with my daughter. And I'm, I'm soaking in baby urine, just, <laughs> just sitting in a puddle of baby urine. And, uh, and that was my day today. And then yeah. I came home and then my mom is here uh, now to help out. And, uh, and then I made a delicious HelloFresh meal. So, All right. Nice. You know well, what? uh, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I think, uh, you know, I, I thought it'd be a good idea to share that just because yeah. I want this our is listeners. This the most uh, off-the-ball HelloFresh ad ever. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a long road there. I want. <laughs> no, that's weirdly that's in the copy now. And when you get home <laughs> after being drenched in urine all day, you have a meal package right there. <laughs> Easy to make dinner. Yeah. Made, made a delicious risotto. It was amazing. <laughs> I want. Our, our listeners to understand uh, that uh, everyone here leads a full life, you know, that the podcast yeah. is just like, but but a tiny moment in time uh, when we can come together and chat about movies and that uh, when you're not here talking about Godzilla, King of Monsters, you are fighting off baby urine uh, <laughs> or, or or cupping it, you know, to try to save it, as it were. Can I? Uh, can I give you the good stuff? You know, <laughs> I give me urine any day over yeah, right, where things over, can go. Yeah, hundred uh, percent, Devendra. Uh, high five to that. <laughs> uh, I will give you another bit of insight into my life. Uh, I got home from that trip and you know started cooking and dealing with the kids and my other my son was home and my mom was here and it was like and I until after I told that story I realized oh I, I have not changed my clothes. <laughs> So, uh, so you're still in the same clothes from earlier today. Yeah. Yeah. So this entire show, just know that's my reality. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's good. You still have not changed your clothes, right? So you're, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so the slash Filmcast is a podcast where we talk about (laughs) movies for those who are just tuning in for the first time. And, uh, on today's episode, we're going to be discussing some what we've been watching and then moving on, moving on into an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing Godzilla King of Monsters. Before we get into that, though, you can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Now, oh, last, Dave, by yeah. the way, before we get some emails, I, I should just cap that off and say uh, the test came back negative. Okay. So. <laughs> That's good. Yay. Yeah, Yay. Very, very good news. It was very all worth it. It was all worth it. Was. It was. Yes. Um, okay. So last week, we reviewed Aladdin on the podcast. Uh, and I just want to get a couple of Aladdin emails out of the way first. So, uh, Davinder, did you have a chance to see Aladdin by any chance? I have not. You skipped that Aladdin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't. So, you don't need to. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. That, that being said, Jeff, that dismissive attitude is something <laughs> that crushed one of our listeners named oh, Daniel. Oh, I know. Yeah. Daniel from Huntsville, Alabama, wrote in. Uh, I've uh, been listening to the Slash Filmcast for almost a decade. I followed Jeff from years all the way back at the beginning of the, Sli- the Total Rad Show. I've never found myself disagreeing with either of you as much as I did when it came to your review of the live action Aladdin. When I saw this movie this past weekend, I thought to myself that I hadn't had such a joyous time at a movie in a really long time. I love seeing a real-life interpretation of one of my favorite movies as a kid on the big screen. Loved all the riffs of the new actors, new scenes, and other new touches. I thought it was the most enjoyable Will Smith role in years, and the Bollywood-esque bits added into uh, it put it over the top for me. The whole time I was watching the movie, I kept thinking to myself that Jeff Kanata probably loved this. I was crushed to find out that even starting with his artfully crafted yet shade-throwing limerick, 
he hated everything that this remake stood for. <laughs> what is life right now? And then he goes on, but like he's, he's basically Daniel's questioning all of his beliefs because Jeff Kanata did not like Aladdin. I'm and, questioning all my beliefs in Daniel that he's been we've been simpatico for a, a <laughs> nigh on a decade because I don't I don't understand how anybody could come up. I'm glad you liked it. Hey man, I don't want to tell anybody that they you know harsh anybody's joy. Uh, if you watched that movie and you liked it, good on you. I don't understand how you could, but okay. Well, I, I think it raises a question, Jeff. Like uh, this, uh, Daniel writes in about how like he actually liked that. It, you know, you said it was like a cover band of Aladdin, and right. he actually liked that it was that. You know, he wanted to see a cover band of Aladdin. Um, Fair enough. And then, and that you also you you talked about how like um, uh, how you were actually excited for like the Akira remake, right? And so, like, what what is That's it true. you think that makes a movie? Uh, like a remake, something you're excited for versus like just a pale imitation of its former self. Well, it remains to be seen if Akira is going to be a pale imitation of its former self as well. It may very well be. Uh, but I, and I, I have to admit when I first heard they were remaking Aladdin, I actually thought it was kind of an exciting idea. So fool me once, I guess, fool me again. I just keep getting fooled. Um, I think it's on the execution, and as we talked about in our review, having some reason to have done it. And I'm hoping that Taika Waititi brings all of his skill and panache mm-hmm. to to that project and brings us something really interesting and invent. Excuse me, really interesting and inventive uh, to uh, justify the live action remake of Akira. I'm I remain hopeful, but I yeah. don't think that was accomplished with this Aladdin. And there, there's also a lot to go on with Akira. There's a huge manga. You know, there's a lot of material that the original movie didn't cover. So, you know, there there are ways to redo that story. Whereas Aladdin is, it's Aladdin. That's it. That's all there is. Right. Well, and, you it know, was based on admit, that, uh, wasn't it based on the uh, Thousand and One Nights, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know. Which is super short. So it's, it's yeah. Stuff going know. on there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, sorry to Daniel that uh, we, you know, it didn't live up to your expectations, our review of the film, uh, but we appreciate your listenership nonetheless. Yeah, Daniel, I think if we work on this relationship, we can rebuild it. All right. This email comes in from Farah, who writes into sliceroomcast.gmail.com. Uh, let me start by saying thank you for the great Aladdin review discussion. I've never written in before, but as an Arab born and raised in Dubai, I felt the need to add my two cents. For starters, the 1992 Aladdin is beloved here in the Middle East. It's part of my childhood and has a huge cultural footprint. We understand that it's racist, but I guess having any representation at all, even if we are being represented by other people, is a source of pride. Aladdin is kind of, sort of, but not really based on an old story from the 1001 Arabian Nights. The new movie has been huge here as well. Let's move on to Jeff's question regarding Agrabah. The problem with Agrabah is that it's built almost entirely on stereotypes. It starts with the Arabian Nights song, and the lyrics very specifically say this is what Arabs are like. It's not just another location like in Snow White, over here Agrabah is, to use the old cliche, one of the characters. The citizens of Agrabah are made up of snake charmers, coal walkers, harem dwellers, and hand choppers. So for context, imagine if 101 Dalmatians started with a song that said, Welcome to America, where we love shooting guns and everyone has slaves. And while Agrabah is a fictional place, if I was to put it on a list next to Marrakesh and Baghdad, the average Joe would have no idea which one is made up. Uh, which one is made up. The 2019 Aladdin is a bit of a disaster when it comes to authenticity. The Sultan is Persian, his daughter is Indian, and the Wazir is Arab. That might all sound the same to most people, but the truth is that it's about the same as having Gael Garcia Bernal play Aladdin because he is brown, or a Filipino play Mulan. 
There's also the fact that inherently genies aren't wish-granting, fun-loving entities. They're closer to demons that are more likely to possess you than do a Jack Nicholson impression. Still, I want to commend Disney for trying. It's a step in the right direction. Disney came to the Middle East for auditions, and I sent them a tape. And while I never got a call back, it feels so good just to know that I had a chance to play a Disney princess. So that email comes in from Farah to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Um, appreciate Farah sharing her perspective. Uh, Devendra, you missed a, a uh, lively discussion about <laughs> uh, representation and yeah. whether or not Agrabah is problematic. Uh, Certainly not great. I will say uh, I am sort of, uh, at least when it comes to the cartoon, I am sort of on Farah's side too because uh, there, there weren't any other Disney people that looked like me. Or my family, right? And mm. I understand that. Like, there, there is some tangential identity there. Uh, when you have no representation, you really just end up grasping at straws. So, you know, there's that. I also want to mention this one email that came in from Joey, uh, who writes in the slash filmcast at gmail.com. So, uh, in, the, uh, in the soundtrack for Aladdin, like, if you go buy the soundtrack right now, uh, the line in Arabian Nights says... Quote, where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home, end quote. Um, now, that is not the original line that was used in Aladdin when it first came out. Joey writes in here, right before uh, release, after the soundtrack has already been released, Disney removed the original line, quote, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home, end quote. <laughs> uh, the original versions are easy to find. The barbaric line wasn't originally intended to represent all of Agrabah or Saudi Arabia, but specifically the judicial system, the lack of fairness in the region. It sets up Aladdin being somewhat justified stealing bread if people chasing him would literally wound or kill him. So that is the barbarism mentioned in the original intention of the song. And the final 1992 film version didn't really fix the problem, but actually compounded it due to the misunderstanding created by the 11th hour hack job to the lyrics, end quote. I, I had remembered that it was something worse than where it's flat and immense and the, and the heat is intense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was like, but when I listened to the soundtrack, that line wasn't there anymore. So they apparently fixed it. But then the barbaric line comes out of nowhere in the new version. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, grateful to Joey for for clearing that up, but just wanted to call that out because we did refer to that in our review last week. So, uh, thanks for the emails about Aladdin. Last week, Jeff Kanata also responded to an email about whether or not he should try to prevent his children from seeing spoilers for <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back. And Jeff Jeff Kanata came out. He's he really wants to preserve the moment of you know Darth Vader saying, "Luke, I am your father." So that he can experience that moment with his children, um, like, fresh, right? So that that's the first time they will see it. Yeah. I, I would love to have my kids have that moment land on them. And, uh, and it's such a part of our culture, the idea of, Luke, I am your father. It is this, you know, talk, this, this iconic line that is ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to ensure that they won't just absorb the fact that Vader is Luke's father just from other things. Right. And uh, Steve from New England actually wrote in about that question. And, and also, Jeff uh, went on an extended rant against the Cat in the Hat series that's on Netflix. He, you, I think you said it was a, uh, uh, a bastardization of everything that had come before, I think, is something like that, right? If I'm quoting yeah, the really, exact wording. Uh, yeah, it... it, it <laughs> plays fast and loose with uh, fast and loose with Seuss, if you know what I mean. Mm, mm. Um, so Steve from New England wrote in to address both of those things. 
He says, quote, on spoilers, our daughters are 14 and 12. We have nurtured a no-spoiler culture in our family, intentionally having discussions before and after movies about what we can and cannot share with friends and in public. That said, your kids' classmates are the biggest threats to protecting your kids from spoilers. Kids are assholes, (laughs) and they like seemingly nothing more than ruining things for others. My kids knew about Han's death, uh, and then he lists a bunch of other deaths. That I'm not going to give away here because I don't know if our listeners have seen all these things. Um, we always go to opening weekends to the Temple movies, but at least some of their classmates go on Thursday night. I'm seriously considering having them start their winter vacation a day early and just keep them home on the December 20th in order to keep Episode 9 unspoiled. Uh, and then he writes, on kids programming, uh, Jeff, oh dear God, enjoy these shows now. The shit they'll watch once they hit 10 years old is horrific. You will miss these <laughs> days because as terrible as Cat in the Hat might be today, it's way better than Ant Farm or The Descendants or Jesse tomorrow. Except for Caillou, that show is ass at any age. <laughs> so, well, you know, yeah. at least this it sounds like this guy's doing something right because at least his kids aren't watching YouTube, which is what other, every other 10-year-old seems to be watching. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Scott from San Diego also weighed in. Jeff, you sweet summer child. My daughters are six and four, and I'm here from the future to tell you that your plan to keep your children unsullied is futile. I was like you, careful to not expose them to any spoilers in the world. The problem is, as they get older, they interact with other children uh, on the playground, and their peers do not understand the concept of a spoiler. Even still, I navigated the tricky waters, and my oldest daughter was able to experience Empire without being spoiled. We watched it when she was four, and I filmed her reaction... It is a really boring video of a kid watching a movie. <laughs> she, she was completely unfazed. No reaction. So even if you succeed in your attempt to keep them unsullied about mind-blowing spoilers, it is no guarantee their mind will actually be blown. Also, I'm anxiously awaiting your spinoff podcast where you critique children's television programming. My kids were obsessed with a short cartoon called Nina Needs to Go, where the titular character was asked by her parents if she needed to go to the bathroom. She would say no, but then need to go later at an extremely inopportune time. Her Damn it, would Nina. Cut- <laughs> her nana would come rescue her through elaborate means and get to the bathroom in time. The end of the episode, she would impart the lesson, and now I know, don't wait to go. Except that she forgets to learn that lesson at the start of every fucking episode. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Scott from San Diego. So, uh, I, yeah, I, your, your, your mission is futile, Jeff. Resistance yeah. is futile. I want to be clear, if anybody didn't listen with the last week, I, I'm not... I'm not trying to protect my kids from every spoiler. I really, it's really just this one that I'm hopeful, and I know it's probably a lost cause already. But I just, I just love the Star Wars movies so much. I mean, I'm probably cursed that my kids aren't even going to care about Star Wars. You know, they'll just be like, "What? That's an old person movie," and I, you know, whatever. But uh, I, I just, uh, I don't ever remember a time when I didn't know that. Vader was Luke's dad, and I w- I want them to have that moment of like, wow, dad, wow, really, what? But I don't know. Devendra, if you could prevent your child from experiencing a spoiler before, like ahead of time, mm-hmm. what would it be? It's a uh, is, is there any question. spoiler you like care a lot about? Uh, I think I mean the 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 Star Wars one is good. Yeah, maybe maybe something like Unbreakable though. Like I think the Shyamalan mm. twists. Are really really yeah. good. Yeah, the show and or they, they Sixth all Sense. Hinge on Sixth that. Sense. Yeah, right. That would be. Yeah, Sixth be Sense is one, another yeah. one that's just so so referenced right. by everything yep. that it will yep. probably be ruined. But yeah. also, they're not quite kids' movies too, so it's like you're safe for a while. 
<laughs> you know, even if they hear like the twist, they may not understand it's part of this movie and right, or attach right. it to that. So indeed. indeed. Yeah, there's that. Well, thanks for all the emails to slashfilmcast.gmail.com. We really appreciate them. And uh, we will continue reading out the worthwhile ones, uh, a subset of the worthwhile ones, on the air. So slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Let's get into what we've been watching this week. Uh, I have continued my journeys through the Seattle International Film Festival uh, this year. And I had a chance to go see The Art of Self-Defense, the new film by Riley Stearns. You guys heard of this movie, The Art of Mm -hmm. Self-Defense? Stars Jesse Eisenberg. That's coming out later this summer. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to this movie. I'm gonna like it's a movie that very few people have seen yet. It played at South by. It's in film festival. It's right now. like an incel martial arts movie, basically. Yes, right? great yeah. description, Devendra. Great description. Incel martial arts movie. It's like very much about toxic masculinity. It's very much uh, relevant to our times. Uh, I, I would recommend it. It's very dark, very unsettling, um, but I thought it was well made. And I continue to enjoy the work of Riley Stearns. Uh, we reviewed his movie Faults here on the Slash Filmcast a while ago, and I think we all liked it. So uh, that's The Art of Self-Defense. I saw it at the Seattle International Film Festival. It's playing in July. Uh, I think it'll be out on July 12th, 2019, uh, in theater. So you'll have the chance to check it out. Uh, I'd recommend it. Check it out. The Art of Self-Defense. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about the series finale of Game of Thrones, but I had a chance to watch Game of Thrones The Last Watch. Uh, did you guys hear about this documentary? This is a documentary that came out the week after mm-hmm. the series finale. Yeah. It is a two-hour documentary, and I think a lot of people were hoping it would be a documentary like with the creators of the show, with the writers, like, explaining WTF just happened, uh, and it was not that at all. Uh, it was instead an in-depth look behind the scenes at what it takes to make a season of Game of Thrones. Which and I think is a much more interesting topic, quite honestly. I agree. The craftspeople in, in, involved in bringing that fantasy world to life, the detail that that, that show has, has brought to every episode, I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, um, and the documentary is great. I think you should definitely watch it. Uh, I, I think like if you have even a passing familiarity with Game of Thrones, like if you watched like, a few episodes in season one and then never started it again, like, it's still worth checking out. Because it shows you just how much work goes into any given episode of the show. And in fact, um, my wife, actually, we were watching it together. She got super upset because the last show, uh, I'm sorry, the last season of the show was very bad. Um, It was not a good season of Game of Thrones, uh, in our opinion. And seeing these people sacrifice so much... Uh, to this show is actually a little upsetting if if you aren't a fan of the last season of the show. I know a lot of people did like it, and so um, for them it'll be like a, a great you know uh, a great experience to see uh, like that these people's work paid off. But well, for me, for I got, me it was I got news for you. Yeah, I got news for you, Dave, and I know you know this already. But pick the worst movie ever made, the worst movie, and I will show you people that sacrificed mm. and worked their tails off to bring it to the screen. It's true. It's, it's true, yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, what, you, what, what is great about Game of Thrones The Last Watch, which you can watch on HBO right now, is that uh, they follow, like, certain characters uh, throughout the making of Season 8. There's a character who is a background artist who has been, like, uh, a guard or, like, uh, a henchman or whatever. Like, a ba- like, he's been in every single season as, like, a Stark uh, banner person, right? 
And even though his characters have like, gotten killed multiple times, like they, they bring back the same people just to make it logistically easier. Uh, and you follow him and his deep and abiding affection for the show. Uh, and it's, it's really compelling to watch. You also see like uh, a makeup artist who is responsible for uh, dressing up all the zombies and making them look convincing. And, uh, and she, she and her husband have this business of doing it. And they had to be away from their child for weeks. And it's just like, oh, your heart breaks for these people. Um, and at the same time, you also just come away with a newfound respect for the art of making television that's watched by tens of millions of people. So uh, whatever your feelings were on Game of Thrones last season, definitely watch Game of Thrones The Last Watch. It is an amazing uh, perspective on one of the most popular shows of all time. So that's Game of Thrones The Last Watch. It's on HBO right now. And speaking of things on HBO, Chernobyl. Tell me how to put it out. We'll use helicopters. We'll drop water on it like no, forest no, no. fire. You don't understand. This isn't a fire. This is a fissioning reactor coal burning at over 2,000 degrees. The heat will instantly vaporize the water. How do we work. put it out? You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before. This is a miniseries uh, that is actually airing its... Uh, series finale as we're recording this podcast but I think I've seen enough to actually safely say that this show is a masterpiece oh yes um, yeah. it is one of the most important works of our time and I feel no no I, I do not feel bad at all using like that overblown language I think it's incredible I think anyone needs to watch this show and it is a rare show that uh, it, it does a lot of things really well one of them is it takes a situation, Chernobyl, that like I thought I knew a decent amount about and then makes me realize, wow, uh, there's like seven layers underneath what you knew, literally, right, that like you weren't even aware of. You didn't – like I, David Chen, had no idea how bad Chernobyl could have been. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, I was listening to the Chernobyl podcast, which is a great accompaniment to the show, and Craig Mazin. On the Chernobyl podcast, something he said that I thought was really incisive was – uh, that in, in many ways the Soviet Union is the only place on Earth where something this catastrophic could have happened, and the Soviet Union is the only place on Earth where this could have been stopped. And, and what I mean by that is like it's the only place where they could have actually uh, stopped all the terrible things that they did stop from happening after Chernobyl occurred. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting observation. That's certainly what you get, uh, the impression you get when you watch this uh, miniseries. Uh, but the, the thesis of the miniseries, and Jeff Kanata, the reason why I think you should check this out, is because uh, it's about lies. You know, it's about how uh, uh, lies have the ability to destroy people's lives. And the, the lives that are destroyed are usually not the people telling the lies, right? And, like, how important truth is um, and how uh, dangerous lies can be. And that's particularly important in our day and age. Um, so that's, like, as vague as I can talk about it without revealing anything that occurs in the show. Uh, I, I do think it's really... No spoilers for Chernobyl. No spoilers for Chernobyl. I don't want to know how that went down. Yeah. Uh, but Devinger, you've also... Been, have you caught up with Chernobyl? We watched all four yeah. episodes that were available in one day. Yeah, um, I've watched uh, pretty much during my downtime during Computex. I was watching the show, so I haven't seen the finale yet. Uh, it is incredible. It, it's fantastic. Like, I did not have any hope that uh you know th this would be a particularly entertaining thing 
Uh, and I don't know if you'd call it entertaining, but it's certainly it's gripping. Engrossing. It's like it's engrossing. Yeah, yeah, it's gripping. It's sort of like it is a lot. I, I don't know. Like um, for me, what's really interesting is seeing just like the bureaucratic structure of you know of of the Soviet Republic at that time, uh, and how just how insane it is. And I think it's easy to see parallels with kind of the way the government would lie to its people and, you know, hold on to lies and the way our country is currently being run. Like, it's really easy to see those parallels. Um, what I really found surprising is that it's it's kind of hopeful because, like, in the face of the apocalypse, in the face of, like, <laughs> the worst man-made disaster ever that yeah. could have rendered, you know, a significant portion of the, uh, you know, of the planet unlivable and affected everybody, like, this this could have been even a bigger disaster. There were still people who were like, okay, still fighting against it, doing the bit they can to defeat this bureaucracy. I kind of find that interesting. I like the idea of uh, like the hero scientists in this, uh, played by Jared Harris, who's fantastic and everything, and Emma Watson. Um, great cast, great writing all around. Like it's just, it's really well done, but it is incredibly bleak. Like I will, I I need to throw up like the bleak warnings because episode four is probably one of the hardest things I, I've ever seen on TV. And as much as I want you to watch it, Jeff, I do feel like it will, it will break away at your soul a little, but do you think the show overall is worth it? The only reason I haven't watched it already is that I, I have that sense that I, I I don't know if I can handle it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so and I... And certainly, I, yeah, and having, you know, being the parent to a child, it is tough to consider the fact that this disaster almost happened. Um, who knows what can happen, you know, in the future. Uh, I, I'm generally supportive of nuclear power and that's a longer discussion. Uh, but certainly if things go wrong, things could go very, very wrong very quickly. So there's, it gives you a lot to think about for sure. I will just say this, that, um, that's what I was afraid of too, is, you know, the, the trailers, I think accurately depict the show as, yeah. uh, quite depressing. Mm -hmm. And that was what was stopping me from watching it. I'm like, do I really need another yeah. depressing show in my life? <laughs> do you, you know, know what, what I mean? you need after the death and rape from Game of Thrones? Like, that's done. Yeah. Here's nuclear holocaust for you. Yeah. Watch I mean, it. exactly. Like, it, I, I question, like, do I really need to go through this? But everyone kept saying how amazing this show was. Um, the, I, I actually had a dinner recently with some friends who I'm going to be working on a short film with. And they, one of the the collaborators told me, hey, um, we were talking about like what we're watching that's really enjoyable. And he mentioned Chernobyl and how it's like amazing. And I'm like, okay, let's just, let's just watch like one episode and yeah, like yeah. see how it is. And the storytelling is so good that, I, you know, there are some problems. There are some problems. There's some th things that are like kind of theatrical. There's uh, characters that are like composites of multiple different characters. Um, where it feels very much like that's the case. It doesn't feel like that's a real person that actually existed. Um, and that, that does kind of make the show feel very occasionally a bit silly. But overall, uh, I think it, it is amazing. It is something that needs to be watched by everyone. I cannot say it in terms strongly enough. Mm -hmm. um, and also, Devendra, to what you are saying about the bureaucracy, I think one of the things that this show does really well is explain what happens when you ha when you nurture a culture in which you cannot make mistakes yeah, yeah. right this, like, this, this thing can explode that's impossible right this is yeah, the like soviet it, union 
uh, nuclear reactors do not explode. That that's it. If if you kind of put out this message of like you can't make mistakes. If you do make a mistake or something goes wrong, you will be killed literally. Uh, mm-hmm. Then people will do anything, not not to prevent mistakes, but to to uh, prevent being seen as having made a mistake, right? And that that in and of itself can create way deeper problems than you would have otherwise. Um, so uh, lots to talk about that, but like we can't really like I think we've been pretty good about not even saying mm-hmm. anything about what happens in the sh- in the, in the show. So uh, I will just say Chernobyl. It's on HBO. It is worth. It is worth subscribing to HBO just to watch it, in my yeah. opinion. Like it is, and it's worth the pain. Yeah, it is that good. So that's Chernobyl. Um, I cannot wait to finish recording this podcast so I can watch the series finale tonight. Uh, that's what I've been watching this week. Devinder Hardwell, what have you been watching? Uh, well, certainly Chernobyl. And I also got to see The Wedding Guest on my flight back from Taipei. And this is a movie that just kind of came and went. Uh, it stars Dev Patel. It's directed by Michael Winterbottom. And basically, Dev Patel is sort of like a fixer. He's sort of like uh, maybe not quite a Jason Bourne guy, but a guy with those sorts of skills. Like a and, Michael Clayton type of guy? Yeah, kind of like a Michael Clayton, but uh, definitely with more Jason Bourne skills, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like he's uh, he's a guy, a mysterious guy who is going to this wedding in Pakistan. And that's all we know. Like the movie starts. He's just going to this wedding. And the entire thrust of this of the movie is that he is basically trying to kidnap a woman from the wedding to save her from this like arranged marriage or some sort of uh, marriage she doesn't want to be in. That's the movie. Okay, it, it is sort of Jason Bourne esque because there are there are action bits. There are points where he has to improvise his action. Um, it's a it's you could think of it like um like a modern noir type thing this is a movie where dev patel just gets to be calm and silent and uh really really kind of tough in a way that i found surprising like he's giving off clint eastwood vibes and i definitely i definitely would have never expected that from dev patel so i think the movie overall is fine it's pretty decent thriller um but worth it worth it for the dev patel performance worth it for the dev patel i would say that and also to have like a modern noir set in like pakistan and india uh i think is really interesting and also fascinating to see this coming from michael winterbottom who most recently has been been doing what the the trip films the trip from italy and spain although Uh, without without uh spoiling anything if you got to the end of that series (laughs) uh you might not be surprised at the direction that he's his career is taken here i did not expect the shootout and uh, you know the (laughs) massive chase scene in that thing but yeah Uh, you are closer than uh, than people <laughs> might think, Devendra. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, if you're looking for a good thriller, if you're into modern noir type things, I think uh, you know it's a quiet crime movie. And I think it uh, it's it's pretty good, but mainly for Dev Patel, he rocks, and hopefully um, he'll have more chances to take on roles like this. Cool. Well, that is the wedding guest, and Devendra saw it on a plane. Saw it uh, on a plane. Jeff Kanata, what have you watched this week? Well, I'm un- I know I'm late to this party, but I finally started watching Fleabag on Amazon Prime yes. streaming, and I love it. Uh, it is I- I've only watched season one. I know that there is a second season. These are quite short, six episodes, half an hour each. Uh, I believe it's originally a BBC show, or... Yes, it has yeah. been on BBC yeah. in the past. Yeah. And it was a play. Like It's a whole thing. Somehow, Jeff, though, I will tell you, season two is even better. I don't know how that's possible, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a genius. This I is what her. I have heard. I have heard that the second season is even better, and I am very excited for that. But 
this is a very dark show. This is a very adult show. Uh, my mom came into town this weekend. I'm super glad I didn't start watching it sitting next to her because literally the first scene in the first episode first is... first scene. That's right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't much change from there. <laughs> um, but, but my goodness, the writing is strong. My goodness, the performances are strong. It is... Uh, I love how the show is shot. Everything is in long two shots, long takes. Um, you know, we... I can't laud... Woody Allen anymore, but I <laughs> love, I love, that's, that's what made me love his movies is long wides of, of actors acting. And the mm-hmm. show is shot like that. Uh, beautiful things that most people would chop in, uh, chop up like crazy with takes to the camera in the middle of conversations uh, are done as one long two shot. And it lets the actors be actors and incorporate that into the rhythm of what they're doing and not dictate the rhythm by the editing. And I am a sucker for that. I love that. Um, there's a scene in episode four, I believe, uh, where, where the, the sisters go on a silent retreat and there is a, a sort of a throwaway moment where something is written on a blackboard that, might be the longest I've laughed at a joke on a TV show in years. <laughs> I my wife was like concerned at me because I, I laughed for for like a minute and a half straight at this this what was written on this blackboard. I just thought it was so brilliant, and so funny. The show is dark and and uh, and crass, and uh, the characters reprehensible at times, but just very skillfully made and um, a, a joy to watch. Yeah. Right. Also, another great Olivia Coleman role. In yes. Yeah. God, I love Olivia Coleman. She is a goddess. I my my goodness, and I could not be more different than the queen from uh, <laughs> um, from the favorite. I mean, it could not be more different. She's like this sweet, like this uh, sugary sweet uh, woman in this one. It is, and she's just divine. I love her. Well, that is Fleabag. Both seasons are available on Prime Video. Uh, which is a, a website run by my employer. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I, I can vouch for what Devendra said, that season two is even better than the first. So uh, can't wait I'm for excited. You to get there. Um, yeah. Well, that's what we've been watching. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winkle. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out... Who exploded Vivian Stone? Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. This week. Before we get to our review of Godzilla King of Monsters, we have to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Uh, we got to thank T. Lek Ying, who made a very generous donation. Marcus Shu from Zurich, Switzerland. David Burnham. Rocco in Santa Monica, who gave a very generous donation. Alex Big Butt is what this person listed their name as. 
which felt like a pretty bad self-own to me. Uh, I don't know. Michael, I don't know. It could be from the the northeastern big butts. Yeah, you know, no, like it's possible. The big boots. Yeah, the big boots. <laughs> yeah, it's pronounced um, big boots. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bradford, uh, Brian and Margaret from Salt Lake City, uh, who write. Okay, so so uh, Jeff Kanata on the podcast last week, we had somebody who donated to Brian and Margaret, but didn't disclose who they were. And Jeff and I kind of talked about uh, how we thought that was very cruel. To force Brian and no, Margaret to figure it out. No, you said it was cruel. I said it was brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So Brian and Margaret from Salt Lake City, uh, who donated, they wrote, Thank you for the shout-out in the last week's episode. Long-time listener to the Slash Film cast, uh, cast of Kings and Jeff's DLC. They always shoot to the top of my podcast queue each week. And Jeff was spot-on in calling out the mystery donor as diabolical. But rest assured, we immediately identified them. Uh, please congratulate the donor as well and his new fiancé, Rasesh and Drusty. Drusty? In North Carolina. So, uh, boom. Congrats. Look at that. Firing back. Mm, yeah. Firing back, just calling them straight out. I think we got to nurture like a donor war going. Like, you, you got to yes. just keep donating back and forth. Yes. We'll keep reading these messages. Or, Everyone or donor will win. Wars. Yes. Whoever I, wins, we it, win in the donor <laughs> war. Right? So, <laughs> uh, would encourage it. So, uh, yeah. also, donor. Yeah. Sesh and Drusty, are you going to let. <laughs> them talk to you like that <laughs> we also got a don- <laughs> we also got a donation from apollo from fort worth texas who writes i was uh, i've been enjoying your podcast for years wife asked if i've donated guilt set in bam best wife ever best wife ever thanks to apollo from fort worth texas uh thanks also to nathan jadul 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 sorry yeah, like it <laughs> completely normal and you were just going to keep on going <laughs> this is like this is like the rural juror of names uh nathan jadul who jadul uh, well, okay Jadul. anyway sorry nathan um nathan made a very nice uh, it's d-z-i-a-d-u-l for those who are wondering what the heck i'm reading uh but uh nathan made a very nice donation he's also subscribing at a regular rate per month if you want to support the slash filmcast support what we're doing here help us defray the cost of seeing movies you can or always if you go to own one of your friends uh, yeah or, or, or prone one of your friends that's right yeah go to paypal.me slash filmcast that's paypal.me slash the word filmcast you, you can also go to slash film.com use the slash filmcast tab use the paypal links on the side of the page we really appreciate any money people can donate, but of course, if it in any way causes you hardship, do not donate. Instead, you can just leave a review for us. Leave us a star rating. Uh, it's free, and it's easy. So thanks so much to all the people who like what we do here on the Slash Filmcast. We really appreciate it. Let's get to our review of Godzilla, King of Monsters. What we are witnessing here is the return of Titans. How many of these things are there? 17 and counting. That's messed up. (laughs) Mothra, Rodan, Ghidorah. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. That was from the trailer of Godzilla, King of Monsters. I'm going to read the plot summary from uh, IMDb. Plot summary such as it is. (laughs) 
<laughs> the cryptozoological agency monarch faces off against oh. a battery of god-sized. What would you say? The cryptozoologist? That's yeah. cryptozoologist. I watched this entire movie. I did not get that. <laughs> the cryptozoological agency monarch faces off against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed king Ghidorah. Uh, this is the slideshow cast, and yeah, this uh, this movie is the sequel to Godzilla, the 2014 movie uh, that was directed by Gareth Edwards, uh, and uh, that movie did a lot better at the box office opening weekend, uh, which led me to place this movie as number five on my summer movie wager list, uh, a wager list that is going down horribly in flames as many of the buildings in this movie uh, have have burned down as well. Um, so I'm in a pretty bad spot with uh, my summer movie wager, guys. And uh, Godzilla is a huge part of why. Just wanted to put that out there. Of course, this movie is also written and directed by Michael Doherty, who has previous be- previously been a guest on the Slash Filmcast. He also uh, wrote and directed Trick or Treat, which is a movie we really liked, Krampus, um, and yeah. he was a writer behind uh, X2, X-Men United, Superman Returns, X-Men Apocalypse. Um, he, was, so. he was also a guest on the Totally Rad show back in the day. Ah. A fantastic guy. Super great guy. I like him very, very much. Super great guy. And nothing I like we how say, we're setting this up. Nothing yeah. <laughs> we say in this review should we'll in that. any way reflect on what an awesome, talented guy Michael Doherty is. So just want to put that out there. Uh, so, Devendra, you had a chance to watch Godzilla, King of Monsters, in an Asian country, right? Uh-huh. What are you implying? Uh, I'm implying that, uh... This is like a racist line of thinking, okay, sir? It's, it's um, true. It's like, it's almost like having a Japanese character read something off a fortune cookie in your movie. Indeed. Um, indeed. but, uh, <laughs> but Devendra, what was the experience of seeing it in Taiwan? Like, were there, were there subtitles on the, on the movie, I assume? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So all the Taiwan theaters, um, they do English, uh, there are, the movies are all in English with uh, Chinese subtitles. So mm-hmm. just so they can get them out there. Quickly. And, and was the yeah. was the crowd like uh, really into the movie? Was there a crowd at all? Oh, no. no, no, not at all. Um, I was at a theater where there were a ton of screenings, and it was like the middle of the day, right before my flight. So I wasn't expecting a huge crowd, but yeah, no, no responses, no nothing to to this movie at all. Um, the crowd that I saw, uh, Jurassic World, uh, the Lost Kingdom, whatever the second movie was called, was far more into that movie than this one so th- there is that um but yeah if i could uh I-, I don't know i feel like i need a godzilla roar for for meh or something like this <laughs> this movie this movie's just bad this this movie is bad on kind of every level which makes me really sad because i'm also a big fan of uh, michael Doherty's work um i think the trailers looked fantastic and they at least the imagery we saw in the trailers were it, it looked great it looked like the work of somebody who genuinely liked kaiju movies and big monster movies and i think there's some of that there's some great imagery some of the monster stuff is genuinely good um but my god nothing else about this movie works. Once again, the humans are terrible. Somehow they're even worse than the first movie. Uh, this movie starts with a conversation about breakfast and they can't even get that to sound right. Like it's, 
it is ridiculous. Like, this is one of the worst scripts I've seen in a very long time. I feel bad for everybody involved in this movie because they are forced to do things that are completely nonsensical. Um, there, Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this in spoilers, I guess, but there's a twist in this movie that lands like like uh, i don't know like a wet something like a wet fart like it's supposed to be momentous it's just like huh oh. all right like, i think there's a lot doing? to discuss the spoilers that is that um, is this movie i i wanted so much more because we deserve a, a great giant monster movie damn it jeff canada your thoughts on godzilla king of monsters well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about Godzilla King of Monsters could best be summed up in the form of a limerick. You don't say. You don't say. Ready? I'm ready. The problem with Godzilla's reboot <laughs> is for the humans, I don't give a hoot. And when monsters are fighting, it's still less exciting than tiny models and a man in a suit. Mm, nice, that was very well done, Jeff. That was one of your better Thank ones, you. in my opinion. Pretty good. Very clever. Thank you. Nicely done. Uh, yeah, I love Mike, Michael Dillardy. Uh, it pains me to say that this movie is, is a failure on, on pretty much every level, as far as I'm concerned. And it's a bummer uh, because I am genuinely excited to go see a big-budget Godzilla movie. And there's been a bunch of them, and none of them have been good. <laughs> And I think – I don't understand why this movie thinks we care about the people because <laughs> I come to this movie for one reason and one reason only, and that is to see big monsters punch each other. And <laughs> we wait an hour before that happens, an hour. And there are so many human characters in this movie, and all of them do the same thing, and that is – exposition they are there for one reason and one reason only and that is to give me exposition that i do not care about that may that changes absolutely nothing about what is happening because all i'm doing is waiting for the big monsters to come and punch each other Mm -hmm. i will grant there are a few moments of genuinely great imagery i will reference them in spoilers specifically because i think there's at least one image that i absolutely adore from this movie and kudos to Doherty for making that happen. Yeah. Also, also shout out to Mothra, who is finally, finally in an American Godzilla movie. Mothra rules. Mothra is a great damn monster. Uh, Mothra, you know, Mothra saves humanity on so many occasions. And uh, once again, does some great work here. Uh, more Mothra love, please. Shout out to Mothra for saving humanity. So <laughs> yeah, many shout times. Out. <laughs> shout um, out to your Mothra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, we will definitely talk a lot in in spoilers about this movie because there's a lot to pick apart. But it is it, – it, it, I think it just completely misunderstands what the point of making these movies is. Yeah. It, yeah. it tries to create this intricate plot with the humans. And the worst part about it is th- this movie is chock full of actors I really love. Kyle Chandler is one of my favorite actors. Uh I mean, there's like a bunch of actors who are in here that are doing really cool things. Vera Farmiga, great. Uh-huh. Ken Watanabe, Bradley Whitford. I love Bradley, Bradley Whitford. Whitford. Oh my God. Bradley Whitford in this movie is, oh man. I hope this totally paper is Beach House or something. Yeah. David Strathairn is in this. Like, <laughs> it's really wonderfully cast. And literally, they are all doing the exact same thing. And that is to give you exposition that does nothing 
does nothing. And uh, and then the fights, which should be the centerpiece, even those are pretty underwhelming. Pretty, like I said, I'd rather see people in suits on on little mock-ups of you know little models of a city. It's more exciting having them crash into little models than what happens in this movie. So yeah, and, and none of it makes any sense. Characters' motivations flip flop and go in crazy places. It, it is the movie's a total mess, and I don't understand how anybody could enjoy it. Frankly, <laughs> so here's the thing that was great about the first Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards, is uh, I, I mean that trailer. I, I don't know if you've seen it since then, Jeff. I know you don't watch trailers, but like. Did you see the trailer with like all the people jumping, like the halo drop or whatever? They're all jumping out of the so thing, and yeah. then they have like the red smoke coming out of their bodies. Did you see yeah. that trailer? Yeah, Th- that is one of the best trailers I have ever seen in my. That's whole for life. the first one. For the first one, that's right. Yeah, right, yeah. That's right. But I think like what that that trailer nods at, and what the first movie got right is this idea of like almost something sacred or like something holy about Godzilla there's something like awe inspiring about this creature right and like yeah. do not mess His with name it. is Godzilla right the, you know think on that yeah do not f with this this power that has entered your life right and that, that's one of the great things about that first movie uh and you get mo- and and uh w- the movie the first movie had to sacrifice a lot to make that happen one of the things it sacrificed was Godzilla being in the movie very much, right? Godzilla <laughs> is in like twelve minutes of yeah. that movie. Godzilla's you know, like Jaws in he, that he, movie. He is yeah. in a, an extremely small period of time of that movie, um, but whenever he appeared, he made a huge impact. Uh, sometimes literally, and I think that's what was one of the things the first movie got right, despite all of its flaws. I couldn't name a single character from that film. Uh, I can barely name an actor from that movie, right? I think Kickass was in it. Yeah. Um, Kick-ass, Elizabeth Olsen was breaking, in that movie. Breaking, breaking Bad was in it, I think. Breaking Bad, yeah. <laughs> Walter yeah, White was Bad in it. Was in it. You know, yeah. like like I I could barely tell you what any of those people did, but I do remember how I felt when I saw Godzilla, which can is I, that I can I, I, I ask was, you a genuine question? Yeah. Was was Kyle Chandler in that movie? <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't remember because because this movie right the it opens with like a scene from the first film. Uh-huh. Yeah, it makes it it's seem Batman like he, he Superman was. Fit. Yeah. It yeah, it seemed like he was. This movie is like picking up the, that that dangling Kyle Chandler storyline. I'm like, did I see that? I'm not joking. I, I I actually to this moment, as we're recording this podcast, still think Vera Farmiga was in Godzilla one. Might well have been. Are you guys sure she wasn't in Godzilla one? She, she wasn't. Okay. No idea. All right. No. Well. The, the, this is a whole new thread. Uh, <laughs> they started it sort of like the Batman versus Superman thing. Like all of a sudden, new character who was involved in the disaster that happened in the last movie and uh, how it like yeah shattered their family and everything. Gotcha. So, so much fun. Well, anyway, um, so yeah. that's one of the things that the first movie got right, and then this movie kind of. Uh, jettisons that in favor. They're like, you want you want monsters? Here's all the monsters you could possibly handle, and like they throw all these monsters at you. And uh, I mean, there are so many visual effects shot in this movie uh, that I, I appreciate the amount of effort that went into it. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Jeff, I, I think that it's it feels like overkill. It feels like there's nothing tactile to it. Like when you see the shot of like. The uh, U.S. cap, or I, I don't even want to give it away, but you, you see like 
famous buildings being destroyed in this movie, right? And, but at no <laughs> entire point, towns and cities, yeah, entire yeah. towns. But at no point do you actually believe, like, oh, that that's a famous, that's an actual place that's being destroyed right now, because a lot of it feels weightless. A lot of it feels like it's very CG dependent, and uh, and I, I think that this movie made some. Uh, some well, tricky it's, it's, trade-offs, right? It I traded think it's off, worse than that. It, it, I think it's, yeah, ahead, I'll, I'll just finish and then, yeah. It, yeah. it traded off, sorry. like, this sense of holiness, this sense of awe for action. But the way the action was done didn't quite capture the spirit of the original from my perspective. It felt a lot more silly in this movie, right? Just a <laughs> lot more frenetic, a lot more discombobulating. Um, and I think that was to this film's detriment. They, it, they really fast-forwarded to the sillier Godzilla sequels that were mm, all over the place mm. in the Toho movies. Like th- that's certainly in the Godzilla DNA of yeah. this franchise. But they, yeah, when it was a rough transition from, from, from yeah, the first different one, yeah. direction. Yeah, Jeff, what were you going to say? I, I was just going to say I think it's worse than just bad visual effects uh, or or uh, you know weightlessness in the in the visuals. I think it's because we are sort of anchored to this group that is just floating around in various <laughs> contraptions all the time. It's, it's a bunch of people in large portable vehicles that mm-hmm. are just like yeah. floating. Oh, look, that thing is being destroyed now. Oh, look, we're over here. Now that's being destroyed. And and at one just... point they're like, Let, let's go from the helicarrier to the submarine. Yeah. And somehow that happened. Very weird. And they're just all sitting in a room observing <laughs> stuff on a screen, giving us exposition about what's happening right. without and there's no way we just like looking at a screen going, oh, wow, look at that. All of that city is now destroyed. OK, Bradley well, Whitford uh, making really bad quips. Some of the worst quips. And he's a really quippy actor. That, that's yeah. kind of what you assign him. He's up one of the most role. talented quipsters we have. around. Yeah, he yeah. Is. This yeah. this movie earns him a Razzie, basically. Like it is it gets that bad. Uh, I will say, like, for, for me, Dave, like, I didn't have a problem with the amount of monsters. And actually, some of the action I thought was pretty well done. The problem was nothing meant anything. Like, it's just, it is Godzilla appears, and then, like, a, you know, things happen. Things just happen. And things continue to happen, and nothing really matters. And, uh, you know, Jeff, I, I have to say, like, you can have a great Godzilla movie and make the humans important. I think the very first Godzilla movie, Gojira, uh, that that is that movie. It is all about the tension between the humans and discovering this thing and what Godzilla represents. Like, there's a lot you can do with this character and this setup. Uh, this movie just fails to do any of that. And I will say, if you guys want to see a great recent Godzilla movie, and especially a man in suit Godzilla movie, go check out Shin Godzilla, which is directed by the director of Neon Genesis Evangelion. It is fantastic. Lots of rubber suits. Lots of great Godzilla action. And it also just looks amazing. Like seeing a modern movie with rubber Godzilla suits, I think is fantastic compared to a lot of this weightless CG. I've heard it's also a great satire of uh, yes. Japanese bureaucracy. So, Completely. It, yeah. it is Chernobyl-esque. Yeah, in its, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, satire, basically. Shin Godzilla is the movie. So, uh, mm-hmm. All right, let's get to spoilers for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So right off the bat, I want to ask you guys, Uh the movie opens and Vera Farmiga 
is like trying to test out this thing called the Orca that's going to tell people uh, that's going to control the monsters using like this communication thing, right? Like this sound. She's combining sound waves to communicate with the the monsters, the Titans. Sure. Which, by by the way, we later find out that the Orca machine can be heard literally around the entire world as long as you put it up to a, a set of speakers. Yeah, um, and it, the uh, speakers at the uh, at the, uh, the the stadium in Boston, the Green Monster, is, uh, yeah, Fenway yeah, Park. is uh, they're evidently the best sound system on the face of the earth. <laughs> so she, to, she also, goes, how there's no Green Monster joke in this movie? <laughs> what, is this what are you even doing? Come so, on! So she goes in there. She goes in there, and she's like, "Hey, I'm going to try this thing out. I'm going to risk my life. You know, blah blah blah," and. Uh, the the thing against all odds, it works, right? And immediately after it starts working, like seconds after it starts, before anyone can even tell other people, "Hey, this thing worked." <laughs> Tywin Lannister busts in and just starts murdering dudes, right? Yeah, they were waiting to see if it worked. Uh, yeah. So, like, what would he have done if uh, if it didn't work? Let's just go home, guys. Everybody, go home. <laughs> you know, didn't like uh, we've already you know killed every murdered everyone like on the way down to this bunker. Um, let's just go home. Like, yeah. uh, because we thought this was the time it was going to work I'm, because you I'm later sorry, find but... out that like he and Vera Farmiga's character are working together. Um, and well, she makes a huge tiny mistake because she's like, Hey, we must purify the earth of ma- mankind. But really it's the, really it's the monsters who are the real monsters. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She does have a massive oops in this, in this movie <laughs> where she's like, oops. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Oh, when I unleashed all the monsters and they started murdering that everybody. Oh, that is uh, so my bad. That is oh, that's on me. That, that is scene. On me. That scene where yeah, Kyle Chandler finally finds them. He finds a uh, eleven. He finds her, and it, the about face, like uh, Millie Bobby Brown's character, just refusing to go with her father. None of that. Like it doesn't make sense. And I guess okay, she or the mother brainwashed her basically into thinking this is the right choice that is such a clunky setup such a clunky reveal i wanted to laugh out loud in that theater but uh i feel like i would have offended everybody in there with me uh if i was in america i certainly would have cackled because it was so badly done i was sitting i I went to the movie by myself i was sitting by a a guy uh who uh when her grand plot was revealed which by the way (laughs) Side note, I will get back to the story in a second, but side note, uh, what was the point, what was the purpose of her making that call to them and explaining everything? There's <laughs> yeah. literally no point to it. And there's like, even I, a, I owe you this much, guys, <laughs> okay? There's even a joke. Tywin Lannister is like, you just told them everything. You know, like the movie is like, <laughs> yeah, that was a dumb scene, wasn't it? I mean, the movie knows how stupid it was because there's no point. She has this phone call of like, here's what I think, everybody. She has a slide deck prepared. Like she plays <laughs> B-roll for them. Yeah. Like, by the way, this is where this is where my plans can work out. Like, look at this video clip. Uh, here's my point right here. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> so the guy I'm sitting next to uh, this whole time who, uh, second side note, uh, I I got you know I'm I'm a member of a, a certain exclusive club that I think we're not allowed to say the name of anymore, but it's AMC Stubbs A list, and um, I, they will automatically upgrade my medium popcorn to a large popcorn. Nice. And this guy who was sitting next to me, I felt like he would have wanted some of my popcorn, but I didn't. 
I didn't know him from Adam. You know, I don't know anything about this guy. And I, there's no way I was going to eat a massive gargantuan large tub of popcorn because large in today's theaters is inhuman size. So I ate about half of my large tub of popcorn and I thought to myself, I'd love to just give this rest of this popcorn to this guy, but that there's no way to do that. That's not it's super weird. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Right. But, it, but like if I was him and somebody did that, I'd be super appreciative. I don't agree. I don't agree. You know, like Jeff, that's Jeff, Jeff, this Jeff. is because yeah. you have too much shame in your life. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say this when, uh, I had my birthday celebration recently and, uh, we, we, uh, bought a ton of like extra cupcakes just in case, uh, but a like, cupcake is a bespoke <laughs> autonomous unit, uh, a, a popcorn tub. I put my grubby hands inside. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fair. If but it you could have really offered though. Like you could have said, I like, hey, I know this is weird. I know most this is of, weird, but yeah. Most of the movie, I was thinking, how do I offer my popcorn to this yeah. guy without it being weird? That was that was my. T- subtext through the entire Are you movie. sitting right next to him jeff yes like right next to him, him. yes i will say um one weird thing about uh taiwanese theaters is that as you buy your ticket they just give you a seat you can't you can't like choose it so i had to figure out huh. which one was mine so everybody ends up crowded like in the center of the theater even huh. if there are only like five people in the movie so i sat next to this random dude uh who i guess did not enjoy the movie but it felt really weird being uh, sitting right next to somebody when the entire theater is open. <laughs> just, yeah. just sharing that with you guys. Well, my theater was jam packed. Uh, but anyway, I, the reason I said all of that was to tell you about the moment she gives her TED talk about what she's doing. <laughs> this guy sitting next to me goes, Oh, so she's Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so great. Uh, and I think it's also a very sad commentary that every big budget movie now is like, well, the earth is fucked. <laughs> you know, like our, our just ground premise is the earth is fucked. And then let's all just jump off from there and see what happens. But everybody knows the earth is fucked. We don't have to actually d- justify that. We just are going to say it because we all know the earth is fucked. We all know. And by the way, that that is the villain's perspective, too. So it's like they're the ones trying to save the earth and not really the good guys. The good guys, meanwhile... Right. Uh, throw nuclear weapons at Godzilla, <laughs> yeah. so proliferating more, more nukes, more nukes. The good guys are pro-nukes, apparently. Godzilla, the, the entire point of Godzilla as a character, he is anti-nuclear. Like, he, he is the result yes. of nuclear testing outside of Japan. Like, he is, oh my god, this movie did not understand anything and about can what we, it's doing. Can I ask you, the movie just says we have an anti-oxygen bomb yeah like yeah. we we have an anti-oxygen bomb sure oh can okay. we can we we've been ex- expositioning everything for like two hours up to this point can you maybe throw two sentences into what what process that came to about from you know like what what's an anti-oxygen bomb well Jeff, somehow... that definitely felt like a plot device that was gonna be significant for longer than three minutes <laughs> um indeed also got to love um let's let's kill Godzilla and then oops uh I, yeah. I guess we kind of need Godzilla poor Godzilla he's just he's having a day you know yeah. he's just having a day he's, Literally he's trying to help out these humans they kill him they throw they throw a nuclear weapon at him and he's back yeah he and has everything to finish the humans fight. do in this movie is so bonehead <laughs> it, it is so dumb uh but I do want to say a couple of positive things because 
I do think there are a, a, a few images in this movie that are spectacular. I thought the underwater when the you know he's lighting up and he's sort of swimming and they're looking at him. I thought that was pretty cool. But my favorite image in this whole movie that's going to stick with me that is really I think very very artfully done was the very end when Godzilla. Uh, we think Godzilla has finally killed the the Hydra, and then we see the Hydra head come back up, and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, it's not dead. No, it's in the mouth of Godzilla. Yeah. I thought that shot was so smart and cool and he's, fun. It's like, yeah. I wish I didn't have to wait through the two <laughs> hour and 10 minute movie to get it. But he's just yeah. slipping up that last noodle. It's uh, it's tricky. <laughs> I have to say, there's some there's a lot of good Mothra stuff here. This movie does not set up really what Mothra is and why Mothra is kind of interesting and important. It's just like, here's a giant moth. Uh, it's kind of healing Godzilla. I guess that's cool. Uh, the weird, like, of, is it kind of inferring that that Godzilla and Mothra yeah. are fucking? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Okay. Right. Um, I like how they just like label everybody. It's like, oh, she's the queen of the monsters. I see. I see. This is how it works. <laughs> um, but uh, Mothra straight up uh, knifing a dude, I think, is uh, is pretty fantastic because yeah, Mothra good. never really had weapons. When Mothra fought before, she she would like flap her wings. And, uh, like, blow things away. It's not super exciting. Uh, Mothra is a force for good and defense. She's, she's like, the healer, kind of, in this group, uh, helping out Godzilla, usually. Um, some good Mothra stuff, I have to say. I like the new design, at least. Yeah, uh, and uh, I actually think the uh, mo- the final moments of Ken Watanabe's character were, like, well done from a filmmaking perspective, right? Like Because the movie yeah. actually slowed down for two minutes, to give you this moment where you can finally reflect on what one of these characters' emotional state is. That being said, I mean, I think it's um, there's a lot going on in that scene. He looks at this pocket watch that was stopped <laughs> by the the Hiroshima bomb, and the idea is that like, hey, like this uh, weapon that was such a force of horror in my life um, can like a- atomic energy can now be used for good. Um. Mm. But uh, I don't think that really quite landed. You know, like, I just think that, like, the movie is just going so quickly through everything that it it doesn't have a chance to pause and really land that character's, Serizawa's emotional journey. Indeed. Speaking of things the movie didn't land, by the way, I was reading Matt Singer's review of Godzilla, King of the Monsters at ScreenCrush.com, and I was stunned when I read that Zhang Ziyi actually portrays her own character's identical twin. Because the movie the movie jumps around so much that I didn't even realize those were two separate people. Uh, you know, a better tomorrow too thing there. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Sure. Yeah. What? This is yeah. news to me right now. Yeah. So I you remember how like Zhang Ziyi is like she like telling the history of her own family's relationship to Ghidorah and everything, and like you see photos of her childhood. And you see, like, her identical sister standing next to her in these, like, Photoshop photos. Um, yeah. Well, it turns out that that character's identical sister is actually in the film. Um, but the movie jumps around from location to location so quickly, you don't realize that, like, one of the characters is in China, I think. And the <laughs> other one is not in China. There, there's a lot of stuff. Like, <laughs> the, uh, the weird psychic twins that, like, communicate with Mothra apparently are in this movie. But it's like a blink and you'll miss it thing. You don't even understand like what's happening there. It's probably too much to explain, though. Yeah, I guess. Jeff, I you, couldn't you, tell you. You're kind of like, you're, did I stun you into silence? Yeah, I'm looking at the IMDb <laughs> listing, and it's Dr. Eileen Chen and Dr. Ling. She plays two characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I wish we had the script for this movie uh, in front of us because I feel like we're not we're not really talking about how bad it is enough. <laughs> like every every single line of dialogue in this movie made me want to like crawl out of my skin. It was just so bad. Like I, I think we're just going a little too hard on it, but no, I... no, it's it's real bad. It's really bad. Like nobody can have an actual conversation with each other, which is the thing, even though a lot of this movie is people talking at each other. Um, all the talking is real bad. And like, it's, uh, I, I need the script. I need the script to bring up points. Cause I wasn't taking notes. Um, but there's but, like man. 14 characters all played yeah. by, I could not tell you anything about Bradley Whitford or Thomas Middleditch or Sally Hawkins. If I you say you- God, he says Zilla. That's Bradley <laughs> Whitford's character. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, there's, these are great actors and they all have different roles in this movie, but why, why do we have 14 characters that don't do anything at all? I don't. It's Bradley Whitford in this movie. I don't know. You know, speaking of, uh, good things the movie did, uh, one thing I did like about the movie is that opening scene that happens in that like house that they're living in. Uh, the breakfast scene. Yeah. The breakfast yeah. scene. Where, where Vera Farmiga cannot, uh, hu- like, in a human way, uh, talk about the breakfast she wants to have. Yeah, this is amazing. Well, because she brought her work home with her, you see. She, she has that, her work the home. Orca device there. Um, yeah. But uh, then the, the, the movie kind of, like, the camera exits the house and kind of pans to the left. And you see, oh, wow, they're actually in a Chinese jungle the ah. whole time. Very Lost-esque, don't you think, Devendra? Yeah, very lost. Uh, yeah. What, what is the logistics of making like just a a modern Western home, just like in the middle of the Chinese jungle? <laughs> Nothing about this makes sense. Yeah. Live there. Ver- Vera was like Vera Farmiga was like, I will work in China in the, in the jungle, but on one condition: you must make a replica of my house from Boston there. <laughs> um, and apparently, she got what she wanted. And also, so. um, I guess her daughter is there with her uh, free reign, free reign to the scientific facility. Once again, it's it's the thing you love, Dave. Kids in disaster movies getting into precarious you know, situations. <laughs> getting all into all kinds of shenanigans. No, it's um, like, hey, maybe this kid should not be here. It's a giant monster in front of us, guys. Or, or maybe this uh, device that... Uh, if if employed correctly, literally would be worth billions of dollars, maybe trillions, because you can control these monsters that can wipe up the planet. Maybe we should have someone guarding it sometimes, um, <laughs> as opposed to just let someone, uh, a kid, sweep through and, and take it and, yeah. and use it. See, the thing she figured out, Dave, is the sound she needed was humans. <laughs> it was the, the, the apex predator of Earth. The human being. Here's a, <laughs> Were we the monsters. That, that is, in fact, that is in fact the twist. Um, yeah, yeah. Here's what I'll say uh, about after watching Game of Thrones and watching this movie is, uh, directors, please stop having massive action scenes in the middle of blizzards that happen at night, um, <laughs> because I just don't. I don't think it's helping. Um, <laughs> it just doesn't. It doesn't give you a good sense of the geography or what is happening. So. Yeah, there's that. I will say, uh, on on a kinder note, I think occasionally this movie does scale really well. I think that that opening moment of them like approaching Mothra yeah. and the size difference, the humans and the the giants, like that's all good. Some of the action sequences where you can actually see things because they're all kind of blurry sometimes too. Uh, the the scale of like when humans are running away from giant monsters, I think are pretty cool. I just I want more of that. Give me more of that. Less dialogue. Less like, yeah, inane dialogue basically. 
I think you guys have pointed out a lot of the problems. Too many characters. The action is not super great. The dialogue is not super great. The, none of the, the character motivations don't really make sense. Um, it feels like Vera Farmiga's character kind of gets a redemption a little too easily. Uh, should, yeah. yeah, trial for war crimes yeah. or something, right? The well, Hague doesn't have this crime. <laughs> yeah, she does. Uh, she does sacrifice her life trying to undo the thing that she spent most of the movie doing. Um, so yeah. you know, there's yeah. that. But um, oh yeah, she died. I forgot about that. Yeah, hail yeah. to the king is her last words. Hail to the king. That's right. That's right. Uh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I think that covers everything. Yeah. It's That's, uh, all the thoughts we have on bad. Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's, I mean, it's it's gonna it's it's gonna do any favors to our summer movie wagers either. It's uh, it's bad all around. <laughs> How did you have it on your top ten, Jeff? Yeah, I I had it pretty low. Let me find. I do too. Yeah. Let me find what it is. Uh, yeah. Summermoviewager. dot com is the website. The summermoviewager.com. I thought it was the doing summer... pretty well though. Wasn't uh, it? I have it scrolling down. I have it at in nine. Oh, all right. Oh, yeah. I feel good about nine. Yeah. That's pretty good. I will say none. I don't think any of us predicted that um, that Divindra, this movie, that Godzilla King of the Monsters would make less money than John Wick Chapter three on opening weekend. Did not um, expect that. that. Did not expect that. That did not. Yeah. Yeah. Devendra, you and I both have it at nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I am, um, what's the word, uh, completely fucked, I think is really <laughs> the word I'm looking for. Uh, my, my, only yeah. hope, my only hope right now is that it doesn't make it into the top ten at all, and that we are all punished for, for putting it on the list. Hey, Dave, quick question. Yeah. Uh, you know what else opened this weekend? What's that? Rocket Man. <laughs> Rocket Man opened with $25 million. Jeff, that thing has legs. <laughs> it is gonna hoof it all the way to the Although, end of summer and crack the top right. ten. Okay, all you got to do is have it land at number ten, and you're like sitting pretty. I'm sitting super pretty if it gets to t- t- number ten. <laughs> super pretty. So, yeah. all right, it made six million dollars more than Ugly Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't win them all, and by win them all, I mean every summer movie wager, which is what I would win. If mm-hmm. I didn't make such colossally bad mistakes. So, okay. Uh, well, that's Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yeah. That's, Go watch uh, Shin Godzilla, everybody. It's, it's much Shin better. Shin Godzilla is the movie you want Shin to check Godzilla. out. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think there are occasionally some good moments in it. Uh, many of them are in the trailer. Uh, and it's, unfor- it's unfortunate that uh, this movie didn't connect more with people. It looks like it was a lot of effort. Um you know, I'll say here's another random thing. Like, uh, I I kind of like the whole idea of like those titans being in ice. You know, like the ice titans and like in the background. <laughs> yeah, ice titan. that. that was pretty cool, uh, right? Got okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I like. So wait, this movie ends with the all the tit- like the other titans just kind of appearing and like bowing before Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. weird. R- really, really setting up the next movie. The next movie, by the way, which is Godzilla versus Kong, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so, that's going to be a thing. It is going to be a thing. Oh, God. All right. Well, uh, those are our thoughts on Godzilla King of the Monsters. You're listening to the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited and produced by me, David Chen. 
Until next week, Jeff Kanata, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast called DLC. We're coming up to E3 week. I just did our, we just did our E3 predictions episode. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I'm also doing a live play Dungeons and Dragons show where I'm the DM. I'm actually making some fiction. Uh, so if, you know, if you want to hear me not just criticize other people's fiction but you can watch and criticize mine because i'm making it all up i'm making up the story and uh, i'm really proud of it actually so if you're looking for that game of thrones fix why not try the dungeon run it is uh, live wednesday nights on caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run 6 p.m pacific time or you can find it on youtube or as an audio podcast wherever you get audio podcasts it's called the dungeon run Devinder hardware oh you can find me on twitter at, at Devendra. i write about tech and gadget.com uh, check out some impressions on Valve's Index VR thing soon. I have that and just haven't had time to play with it. Um, so that that's going to be good. I'm also still doing a tech show at nomortech.net whenever I can find time to record new episodes. Later. F- find all my stuff at davechen.net. Follow me on Twitter at davechensky. All right, folks. Um, next week, we had a heated debate on the Slash Filmcast over what to discuss next week. And I think a lot of people want to hear us discuss Dark Phoenix. But... That is probably not going to happen because none of us really want to see Dark Phoenix. Our soul, um, so we had several weeks in a row now of just the worst <laughs> movies. <laughs> and we're all very sad and can't – it's hard. It's hard, guys. It's hard. What we do for it's, – it's very hard. <laughs> so we may not be doing that instead, officially. Uh, yeah, I mean we, we might um, uh, uh, if I have a chance to go see it. But – uh, we are instead going to be discussing the new season of Black Mirror. Black Mirror, uh, which is going to be coming to Netflix on June 5th. Uh, and I think it's going to be three episodes. Miley Cyrus is in one of them. going to be fun. So that is what we'll be discussing next week. So check out Black Mirror. Watch it in time for our discussion next week here on the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. Ready?